listening to Spitball with Andrew Ballhawk Mellows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Spitball. I'm your host, Adri Bullhawk Mallows. And firstly, I would like to take this opportunity as it is New Year's Day to wish you all a happy new year and may 2015 be fruitful and prosperous for all of you. And especially my young co-host, Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Happy New Year, buddy. I like the idea of a young co-host. I could get used to that. Uh, well, yeah, you are quite a young whippersnapper, aren't you, really? Especially compared to me. <laughs> I'm good, mate. Very good, thank you. Excellent. How was your Christmas and New Year? Very busy. Oh, my word. It's almost it's almost nice to just get to sit down um, after it and just relax now. Only relax for a few minutes, buddy, because we are going to crack on with this week's show. Who are you? I don't even know your name. What's your name? Turn around. Let me see your name. Turn around. Let me see your name. Turn around. I don't know you, bro. You're having one of those days. Hey, baby. You're having one of those days. I say that to say this, and you wouldn't have did what you would have did, then we wouldn't have been where we was at to get what we got. That just don't make no sense, dog. Marcus, put your shoe on. Put it on. Jeez. I can't face with these clothes. I'm a teeth. They got to my tooth. Wish I had some gold so you can bite me some teeth. To start this week, I think we should follow in the same vein as last week going through uh, firstly the AFC to go through the the key games that resulted in who we now have in the playoffs and uh, the last position there that they were trying to work out amongst themselves. Then we'll do the same for the NFC, uh, have our usual weekly awards and finish up with the Around the League news, uh, including the usual uh, what is known as Black Monday in the NFL, where a lot of coaches and general managers, etc., tend to get the chop. So... AFC week 17 want to kind of work through this in the order that they happen so the first game I want to talk about is Kansas versus San Diego because of course if San Diego won this game then they were in the playoffs no matter what but if Kansas won then that opened up the door for themselves Houston and Baltimore so Marcus, what did you take from this Kansas-San Diego game? It was weird because, of course, firstly, you didn't have Smith under centre. What with, um, I can't remember if someone said like spleen or, or something like that. Injury. Uh, lacerated um, spleen. So it was it was kind of like, oh, well, the, your biggest game of the season, potentially, and you're, you're down to number two quarterback. You know, how's that going to work? Especially a quarterback that hasn't won on the last day of the season against San Diego. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily a good omen. <laughs> No, not a good omen, but this game, as we saw it unfold, it was just all defence, absolute defensive standout masterclass by both teams. Yeah, I think in particularly for me, Kansas's defence was um, pretty much on, on fire, led by Justin Houston, who in the game itself had four sacks and in doing so tied the single season sack total record with 22. Seven sacks in total. Two interceptions, Philip Rivers just did not have a single moment of that game 
to just throw composed. If he was throwing, it was it was rushed. It was either on the move, trying to boost themselves in the second quarter. I did feel they went on a really nice run. And when it went to 7-10, I felt like if they had actually used that as like an impetus to get back in the game, they could have. Their only touchdown of the game, as you say there, coming in the third quarter, um, and it could have led to a comeback. We all thought that if they'd done it against San Francisco, then surely they'd be able to do it uh, against Kansas City as well. But uh, Kansas held firm and managed to take the victory 19-7 in the end, uh, led by four field goals from Cairo Santos. So maybe someone we want to look at getting in our fantasy football teams next year, if he's going to be kicking that many field goals on average uh, per game so that result then of course opened up the door for the other teams and as that result stood uh, at the time or there was a time during that game in the fourth quarter when it was actually Kansas that were in the playoffs because both Houston and Baltimore were losing so did Kansas make it in that's the question well let's shed some more light on that by now moving to the second game I'm going to talk about in the AFC and that is the Houston versus Jacksonville game Marcus apart from uh, someone who we'll come on to in a minute who is just an absolute animal and always gets talked about on this show for good reason uh, what did you make of the the Houston Jacksonville game it was like silly mistakes this game both teams a load of penalties you know and it's just seen a lot of drop catches as well on both sides uh, of uh, on Houston and Jacksonville. Let's face it, for Jacksonville, this was just trying to like tidy up their season. For Houston, this was an all-or-nothing game, so it almost felt like they didn't want to get into the playoffs with the way they were playing. To be fair, the, the level they were playing at, like you said, allowing uh, Jacksonville to be winning in the fourth quarter when they're wanting to be sealing out the game, just didn't feel like Houston had you know that the grit to go and get it. No, of course, it probably didn't help as well that they were on their third string quarterback with, with Keenum under centre again this week. But um, something else I want to mention, so one of the reasons why Jacksonville were ahead was, of course, that touchdown pass from Cecil Shorts. Uh, well, it was quite a, a nice, tidy little trick play there. Oh, yeah, it was very much so. It, it's just one of those ones where you are going to just pull out the bag because it is end of season, you know. Jacksonville, you're not going to go to the party, but you can definitely spoil someone else's. And actually, you mentioned uh, injuries there with Keenan being in because um, the third string. In something that I completely forgot, and I should remember because I had it in fantasy. <laughs> we always talk about fantasy. Sorry, sorry, listeners. Was the fact that uh, Aaron Foster went out very early in this game as well. Uh, he did we say we always talk about fantasy we do and if our listeners out there uh, are just getting into American football then there's a couple of ways to to get into it the fantasy through Sky Sports is a good way because it's just picking a a different set of players each week so that makes it a bit easier because you, you just have a salary cap and then you can pick your players per position but once you feel comfortable with it join one of the other fantasy leagues where you get to draft your own team that you have to tinker with throughout the season just changing one or two players depending on injuries and things uh, it's a great way to enjoy the game also and, and makes for uh, good banter in the workplace and like our obviously American football teams in, in Spartans and I'm sure you may, may very well do your own on one next year Marcus I don't know that would be nice too excellente so got to come on to JJ Watt say what because uh, Houston obviously managed to come back and take the lead late in the fourth quarter in this game, um, going up 21-17, putting them in the final playoff spot for a short while. And 
as a sealer on their game, JJ Watt with his, uh, I believe it was his 20th and a half sack of the season, which was also a safety on Blake Bortles. Yeah, he doesn't do things by half. He uh, Well, apparently uh, he does. <laughs> <laughs> Just purely because of how the sacks have worked out. You only get half a sack if you, there was two, pe- two or more people in on the sack, don't you say? But it's it just capped it off, and I think if anyone was to finish off the Houston season, it had to be him. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I say so with that twentieth uh, and a half sack uh, of the season, he also became the first player in uh, NFL history to have uh, multiple twenty-plus sack seasons. Again, there's another great achievement, and probably another reason why a lot of people will be talking about him for MVP so final score in that game 23-17 to Houston as we say put them in the playoffs because at the time Baltimore was still uh, tying with Cleveland 3-0 so it put Houston in the playoffs for a short while and let's come in now to the Baltimore Cleveland game where Cleveland was starting their third string quarterback Connor Shaw uh, because of injuries to uh, Manziel and Hoyer um, what did you make of that game? Because that was a real gritty AFC North clash for me. It was 3-0 for a very, very long time. It was 3-0, and I must admit, um, when um, Cleveland went ahead in the third quarter, I I, I couldn't believe it because you did think all the pieces really were against them. You know, the backup, backup quarterback in Connorshaw, who'd only been elevated from practice squad earlier that week. There was no Josh Gordon, the star wide receiver, due to... Um, disciplinary issues so it was kind of just like they put themselves to the test and for a minute there I thought they were actually going to come in here and just completely ruin it for Baltimore although to be fair Baltimore at that time were doing a great job of uh, ruining it for themselves well they were but I think we we need to give them credit because obviously we say in the in the third quarter they went down but they would have seen the scores from around the league and at that point known that they were out the playoffs because of the Houston score and they managed to find a way to uh, pull it together and come through with a victory, being Cleveland 20-10 in the end, Flacco managing to get his act together right when he needed to. Yeah, it did feel almost like that fourth quarter. Someone had told them, guys, if we don't turn this up a notch, we are not, you know, we're going to be watching the playoffs in January at home. And so it, it was, it was that fourth quarter was just electrified. It was like, where have Baltimore been all day? It's like they just got off the bus or something. I don't know. Yeah. And again, shows phenomenal adjustments, doesn't it as well? This is what we always talk about, about good coaches and that you can be that late in the game and having not done very much on offense all season. And two things, really, I think the players step up and also then the coaches with their different, obviously varying their game plan, calling different plays and finding ways to get Flacco in a position to make plays uh, and also the receivers as well. So great work by the, the coaching staff there. And with that win, as we say, Baltimore clinched the last playoff spot, getting the uh, the sixth seed, which we'll come on to more in a minute. And uh, the final game I want to talk about in the AFC was actually the battle for the AFC North. And that was the Pittsburgh versus Cincinnati game. It was crazy. I mean, I honestly thought um, Antonio Brown, oh, wow. I mean, was, <laughs> that was almost like what? a mm, Tannehill moment. That was. <laughs> it was yeah, it's mm, Tannehill, it's poor Brown. <laughs> um, <laughs> for the end of season clip show. I sure think. it will be. <laughs> <laughs> but it really showed the sort of the definition that Pittsburgh have managed to create late in the season of having a really nicely rounded team. I think I made a thing earlier in the year saying that Cincinnati 
I like them as the most rounded team. Yeah. It seems they've sort of swapped places now. I like the idea that Pittsburgh have got it down patterns towards the whole three phases of offense, defense, and special teams. They can sort of pressure teams, whether they can either use their running game to drive the clock to nothing, or they can just create quick strikes if they need to, just ensure the game is won. Yeah, of course. And um, just coming back to Antonio Brown, so uh, I think you mentioned there he got a punt return touchdown for uh, Pittsburgh's first score. And I don't know if you've seen the the highlights of this, but they actually did a yard tracker on his punt return. Now, I think the punt return was probably officially only about 50 or 60 yards, something along those lines. But by the time he'd run side to side across the field, uh, they'd tracked him at nearly 120 yards (laughs) that he had to run to score that touchdown. It's absolutely crazy. I don't know. Is is that one that's going to make it to the show notes? I think it should. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that just shows the vision. That's, that's, that's the pure athleticism that he can bring to the game. And I feel that he is one of those sort of, those players that can really sort of turn a good team into one of those sort of like, like you say, a playoff team, because they are a playoff caliber team. They are, they are going to the, uh, to the playoffs and in style. Yeah. And finishing off then with Antonio Brown this season, he has had uh, 129 receptions, uh, second only in receptions per season, only to, Marvin Harrison um he had a single season reception sorry uh, he had a, a 1698 yards and 13 touchdowns so an amazing season for him um now also great touchdowns within the game Giovanni Bernard's touchdown reception as well where he had a little cheeky goal line hurdle going on there he has been um amazing pickup for Cincinnati because he's such a, a versatile back that sort of Reggie Bush run and pass although i must admit that they found uh, a star in hill as they're running back at the moment so that dominant running back jeremy hill yeah well, um, they can I mean, use them as both can't they they can have that flash thunder combo we always talk about because they can they can ground away with hill and then just bring bernard in towards uh either towards the end of the game or if they're on a long drive just kind of substitute bernard in to get that explosive play Exactly. And really, that's really how um, it helps you maintain some games, because some games are, are not going to be so easy just to allow you to just to to play a, a run based dominant defense where it might not work. You need someone else to come in, a Bernard to be that back up the, the backfield catching and making that extra effort, like we say, you know, in the passing game. And Pittsburgh did end up coming away with the victory, 27-17 in the end. So they have clinched the AFC North. But one talking point for me is the Le'Veon Bell injury. Have you seen a clip of this? I've read how serious they believe it could be. I don't think I want to see. It's basically the way he gets hit. It's not a, The thing is, it's not a malicious hit because we know that, and we've talked about it before, that as defenders they're being trained now to hit lower and lower down the body. And the problem with that is uh, it is going to lead to injuries. Now, it's not a helmet shot to the knee, but it's kind of more shoulder pads. And it's it's when it's hit his, knee, hit, hit his leg rather than the angle it put his knee at. So you'll see it. So when he's running, he's obviously running along. And then as the hit comes in, uh, it's more like his trailing leg. So it kind of hyperextends backwards because it stays in one place when it's trying to move forward if that makes sense. Um, so yeah. It looks quite painful, but it doesn't look um, doesn't look disturbing like some of the, the twists we've seen when, when players go down. And 
the the last thing I want to talk about is the uh, Mike Mitchell hit on AJ Green. Now Green had the fumble, and after he fumbled again, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but Mitchell comes in with what to me looks like a completely unnecessary hit because there's always one one player making the tackle. And the way Mitchell um, hits him comes in again, diving low, which we know that we've just said that they they kind of have to do. But at the same time, because of the timing of it, you wonder if he did have to make it at all. And the way he comes into green, uh, it just crumples his head down and it looks horrible when you see it in slow-mo. I I know they always do. Have you seen that one or or, or not, Marcus? No, with this game, it was just kind of, I've only seen the sort of the run through of it and, um, they don't. They don't tend to look, to put some of the, the the real nasty ones into the highlight package, luckily. But I did see that he was participating in practice today, so at least that's that's good news. Um, if you're a Bengals fan, yeah, absolutely. So we'll we'll leave that game there, and uh, if you do get a chance to watch the highlights, then check out that hit and let us know what you think about that hit on AJ Green. Do you think it was unnecessary or not? Do you think I'm just talking garbage? If you do, remember. Hey, guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. Okay, so we'll have a look at the AFC playoff picture now, as everything has been clarified with all the Week 17 action. We have New England in first place, which gives them a bye for the first week of the playoffs and also gives them home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Um, it's becoming pretty standard these days, isn't it? The, the, the road to the playoffs for the AFC has to go through New England. Um, Denver are the second seed and again also receive uh, a first round bye. The third seeds are Pittsburgh with that uh, divisional win. And uh, the fourth seeds are Indianapolis. Now, again, in case we've got some new listeners to the show, the way the seeding works is the seeds one to four are the four divisional winners. So the AFC North, the AFC East, AFC West and AFC South winners. And their ranking order depends on their win loss record from the season. And then you have two wild cards who, uh, again, done in order of the win loss record, but even if their win-loss record is better than one of the division winners, they still have to be a wild card because you get in by winning your division. So the uh, wild cards are Cincinnati and Baltimore. So we've got the three teams from the AFC North there getting into the playoffs. So you've got to feel quite gutted if you're Cleveland, really, haven't you, to have blown uh, a chance of getting into the playoffs when you watch everyone else in your division uh, competing in the playoffs. We, we know the system, you know, teams that maybe have a better record than some of the, the division winners, and we'll probably come on to this um, more with the NFC later. But, you know, it's, it's, it's only fair, like you say, you know, you win your division. There, there has to be that prize to win your division, no, no matter Even if someone else has, has won their division, um, come second in their division with a better record. It's, there's got to be some kind of um, reward scheme that you have to go and win out. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. So with that said, then this weekend, we have the wildcard playoff weekend. So the wildcard matches in the AFC are Baltimore at Pittsburgh, which for me, that that's tie of the weekend for me. They're all going to come out to play, aren't they, so to speak, for that game. It's a big division rival. It always has been uh, since Baltimore um, became a franchise. Really looking forward to that. That's going to be uh, Saturday night at 8.15pm uh, Eastern time, which of course means it's uh, quarter past one in the morning for UK viewers. 
um, and even later for any of our European listeners. And the other game for the AFC is Cincinnati at Indianapolis, which is at 1.05 Eastern time on Sunday. Uh, again, that's 4.05 uh, p.m. in the UK. 4.05 p.m. What am I talking about? That's 6.05 p.m. in the UK. Uh, and again, slightly later for, for our European listeners. With that said, I think we should uh, take a moment and then come on to things in the NFC. You are listening to Spitball. Now we move on to the NFC. And I want to start with the division battle between Atlanta and Carolina to see who was going to get that last playoff spot by winning the NFC North. Because, of course, all of the five other teams had secured their playoff positions last week. Marcus, what can we say about this game that may put things in a positive light <laughs> if you're an Atlanta fan? Uh, if, you, if you're an Atlanta fan, I was going to say, I, I, I don't even know if they actually turned up, didn't they? Didn't Carolina was the only team to actually turn up to the game? Uh, it certainly looked that way because Matt Ryan, who's usually so composed, had a lot of bad decisions under pressure and, and threw a couple of interceptions. A couple of interceptions, six sacks. The run game didn't work. Carolina's defense was just aggressive. It was after them. Um, I'm, I'm relenting really. It didn't, it just, it, it, it was almost like what I was saying earlier, like how Houston just didn't have the grit to want to win it. It almost, it was like this, like the Pampers came out rabid, like they wanted it more than anything. It didn't matter. They were going home with this victory. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and normally you would say a lot of the, the blame goes on the Atlanta defense being quite porous, but with the number of offensive turnovers they had this week, you'd have to say that that, that didn't help their defense at all uh, and pretty much killed the, the Falcons' hopes of going to the, the postseason. Now, uh, final score in this one was Carolina 34, Atlanta 3. Uh, and apologies for, for not spending much time on this, but to be honest, uh, when you see the highlights again, you'll see there's uh, not really a great deal to say other than how well uh, Carolina played. And for me, the question I wanted to ask you, Marcus, is do you think Cam Newton is coming back to his best form, bearing in mind the game he had, uh, only uh, attempted 16 passes, completed 10 of them for 114 yards, uh, had a touchdown, also had that rushing touchdown as well, but more importantly, seems to be leading his team when he needs to. Sometimes it's not about the stats. I mean, it's about converting the chances you get because you look and see how he was so effective on the ground, like using you know, pulling the ball away and running with it. And that's the cam of old that I think we're, we're more likely to, to expect. And, and I think we're trying to see, I saw the things he was saying he was fine about the whole fractures in his back from the car crash. And he looks good. But, you know, you go into a difficult off-season now. Is that going to affect him later on, you know? Did the... Uh, does every game does it aggravate it? But it's great to see that in this game, the opportunities he was given, he worked them into the end zone. And for, for really, all you can say as a Carolina fan is that it has been a great season, but the last run up into the playoffs is positive. Yeah, 100%. And with that win against Atlanta, they actually become the first team in the NFC South to win back-to-back division titles well i don't suppose it is probably that surprising when you look at how well each of the teams plays you've got atlanta who have had their great seasons when matt ryan first came in obviously new orleans have got drew Brees, and obviously cam since he came to carolina it does make it quite a mix with all the different franchise quarterbacks you've got there so carolina should definitely be congratulated for the fact that they've secured back-to-back 
division titles, albeit this one with a, an in, incredibly bad record of seven, eight, and one. Hey, I mean, sometimes, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And it's that sort of Al Davis metaphor that just win. Doesn't matter if you win ugly, win pretty. If you just win, they're going to playoffs. And three other teams in the division aren't. Well, yeah, agreed. I suppose you can't really argue with a, a sentiment like that, can you? And just finally then on Cam Newton, um, it's great to see his attitude because this has been the thing that's consistent since we started even doing this podcast. The one thing that's, I think, aggravated us both is that a lot of times when, when the chips were down, Cam was the first person to be sitting sulking on the sideline, whereas over the last couple of weeks since he um, had his accident, it seems to be completely contrary. He seems to be the emotional leader uh, that that team needs. These events, you know, they say they really do change people. I know a lot of people say it's quite blase and, you know, um, cliche, you know, oh, yeah, you need a death experience. Always got a new outlook on life. Sometimes if that's all you need, it's just a quick jolt like that, a bit of a scare. And use it. You ride that emotional way. You use that adrenaline. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, we'll leave that game there. And then so with that, as we say, Carolina secured the last spot in the NFC playoffs. So then it was just down to who was going to get home field advantage, who was going to get the, the one, two and three seeds, which order were they going to play out in? So to start with, we go to Dallas versus Washington, where if Dallas won, they would give themselves a, a good chance of, of becoming the number one seed, but obviously needed other results to go their way. And their game against Washington, Marcus, wow. That's the one word I would use to describe their performance against Washington this week. I thought it was brilliant. The first um, quarter, you saw the Deshaun Jackson absolute bomb um, for Washington. And then that gets followed up by Des Bryant having another bomb from Tony Romo. I was like, oh, hold on to your seats. This is going to be a shootout, 40 points aside. And uh, and then Des Bryant ends the first quarter, like 17-7. I'm like, this could get interesting. But ultimately, that Dallas defense, I don't think we've given it enough credit over this year, really, because it just snuffed out any spark Washington could have had. And, and you're right. I think we probably haven't given that... Uh, defense enough credit because the offense has been playing that well and the the o-line has been been getting the getting the credit there with with how well murray's played this year and in this game obviously we had demarco murray breaking Emmett smith's single season rushing record it's uh, everywhere of this it was a week a week of just record smashes but yeah, because we also had uh we're not smashing so much the record but we had des bryant also tying Terrell Owens's uh, single season touchdown reception record at 16 and also want to talk about the second Des Bryant touchdown the 30 yarder how amazing was that catch when I first saw it obviously I wasn't where the ref was which to be fair I think was probably too close to the action to see it but the way he gets his toes down is just phenomenal for this second touchdown and I'm going to put it in the show notes this is why some of these NFL receivers get paid so much money Uh, in college you only have to get one foot down which is it's still difficult in times but nowhere near as difficult as having to get two feet down when you've got about two inches of turf to play with so uh this that second catch from des bryant for me uh, and bear in mind it wasn't ruled a touchdown initially but des bryant rightly got garrett to throw the challenge flag and, and won they won even though it was a close call to the sideline i think there should be a ref isn't there a ref checking his hands the other ref checking his feet i think you should have been able to see he was clear but hey ho they got the right decision in the end and that's what matters 
I think the difficulty there is, um, like a lot of the times this year, they do give a touchdown just to make sure it gets reviewed. But then the flip side to that is when it does get reviewed, there has to be irre- irreversible proof to disallow the touchdown, doesn't there? So mm. it's strange. And I saw something earlier in college football, um, the game I was watching today, uh, the uh, Baylor versus uh, Michigan Spartans, where they actually reviewed a play without it being challenged. Uh, it wasn't marked a touchdown on the field, but it was basically the play was to decide whether it was a touchdown or if he went out of bounds at the half yard line, and they reviewed it anyway. So I'm thinking to myself, uh, and sorry, and it was outside of two minutes. I'm thinking, isn't that something we could do in the NFL that we have an automatic booth review for? any kind of controversial plays or do we think that would slow the game down too much? I don't know. I mean, you're, you're caught, aren't you, in that, that sort of war between efficiency and just make, get, making the right call and then turning around and sitting there going, well, okay, there's making the right call and then there's also keeping the game at that level, you know. It's, it's 50-50 call. I think it's walking a tightrope. It's difficult to say. Uh, and also, I suppose, there's that uh, argument that if you send too much to the video officials, then the refs on the field might get lazy. True. I mean, you see that sometimes with rugby, which rather than, you know, rather than just take the, the goal to call it themselves, they just go straight up to the video. Just coming back to then the, the Dallas-Washington game, because as always, we tend to digress a little, so I do apologise. But I thought there were some positive moments for uh, Robert Griffin the third, uh, in particular, as you say, that, that deep bomb he threw to Deshaun Jackson. Actually, yeah, that's a very good point, actually. Uh, something to come on to. One of his interceptions as well was, was tipped by Roberts, sort of almost in, I know it was a little behind Roberts, but I still think it's a catch he should have made across the pattern and just sort of tipping the ball up just for easy pickings by the defense. So really, I, I was actually quite impressed. I mean, they asked a lot of him, uh, 41 throws in total, of which he completed 27. So I, I, I feel that this is what he will need is just, Though he didn't win the game, I think you have to take some positives away. The fact that he's looking better, almost as the faith is sort of seeping back into him and the confidence is starting to build. What this does into the offseason, I don't know, because they just love their little quarterback roulette in Washington. So we'll have to see whether or not, you know. Yeah, see if he sticks around or not. But I think with that, they if he does stick around, they need to do what they've done in these last couple of games. And, and I appreciate as a head coach, you have a way you want your... <clears throat> excuse me, your offense to play. But if you've got a franchise quarterback in place, then you need to, you know, let your ego aside to a minute and then build your offense around the pieces you have in place. Or if you've got someone like Robert Griffin the third, why why wouldn't you try and build an offense around his strengths rather than how he came in at the start of the season and went, right, okay, RG three, we're gonna turn you into a pocket passer. It's like, yeah, but but boss, I've I've always been a read option scrambling quarterback. I don't care. You're going to throw it from the pocket. I know we've mentioned it quite a few times this year, but I just think they need to do more of what they've done in the last couple of weeks and get the best out of Griffin's current attributes and the attributes he excels at rather than trying to change his game plan. But anyway, the final score there uh, was uh, Dallas 44, uh, Washington 17. So quite a a route in the end. and, And obviously... Only the uh, the offense playing for Dallas in the first half, or their first choice uh, offense, shall we say, first stringers playing in the first half. So that put Dallas in the provisional number one seed um, before the, the other games kicked off. Then we had Green Bay versus Detroit. Uh, this one was for the NFC North Division title. Uh, quite a game, quite exciting to start with, and... 
Aaron Rodgers, again, another player we, we talk about a lot on the podcast, but how about throwing a touchdown after you pull a muscle when you're trying to escape the pocket? It just looks so nonchalant. That's the thing. They said, actually, that he was coming here sort of like 50-50 on that leg. Did you see it when he was almost that Winslow-esque, you know, being helped off the field, you know, after that touchdown where the trainers did actually effectively like pick him up and carry him off? Yeah. They did, yeah, they had to because he, he didn't know what he'd done to his leg. Like I, I read a report earlier that he thought he'd um, blown his Achilles. Um, that's what he, he said it, it initially felt like. And it's like, wow, if he'd have done that, it'd have been so harsh. But yeah, so going into the game, uh, we should mention there, he had a, a calf injury. Um, and during his uh, <laughs> touchdown pass to Randall Cobb, or his first touchdown pass to Randall Cobb, uh, he's gone to escape the pocket. And as he's gone, you see the muscle go in his leg uh, straight away. And then he just still manages to throw a bullet, which is just um, amazing. As so he left the game then, and obviously... Um, went to the locker room, had it checked out, and then came back later in the third quarter. But when he did come back, what do we think of Nadama Kansu uh, stamping on him? Do we think that was accidental, or do we think there was some malice to that? In my opinion, I think Sue is a bit of a, uh, a nasty piece of work anyway. So to be fair, the idea of, oh, I didn't see him there and all this, because he's got off scot free, of course. I don't know if any of, um, if that's news to people, if they, if they heard about it and they were wondering whether he was going to get fined or, or he's, he, the match ban has been rescinded, as it were. So he's not going to, he's not going to miss the, the playoff match. So, um. But, so coming back to that though, so he was initially banned for a game on the back of it, but then they, on appeal, they reduced it to, I think it was a 70k fine. Mm. You, if you step on a guy, you don't just like walk off as if, oh, you're on the floor. You, you, you know, if you accidentally stepped on someone, you're like, oh, crap, mate, sorry. You know, you'd react to it. And I think the other thing that gets it for me as well is when you look at the replay, um, he initially steps backwards and then part of his cleats catch Rogers' calf. And at that so point, that's the again. part where when you step on, when you step on something, that at that point you'd go, oh, what was that? You wouldn't then step back further, would you? You'd move forward because you've just stepped on some, you felt something under your foot when you step back. Like, you know, when yeah. you tread on a bit of Lego, for example, you don't then keep walking. You go, oh, and then you, kind of step away from it don't you so yeah so he's walking backwards uh felt rogers underneath and then to me it does i agree with you it looks like he's just then gone and stamped on him and with his previous there are a lot of coaches that say he isn't a dirty player but he's had a lot of instances where it makes him look like a dirty player i don't know i mean for me if with all of his previous this is the thing as well i think there was argument saying that you can't take into account his previouses that happened a couple of years ago because they happened a couple of years ago. But if it was a criminal, they would always take into account your previous, regardless of how many years it was down the line, wouldn't they? So I don't see why they can't do that in the NFL. It seems like they got a little bit scared uh, about a, a possible lawsuit for because you know he would have sued the NFL for like loss of earnings and potential bonuses and things like that because they made it to the playoffs. But I just think uh, stuff like that they should have just stood firm and, and given him the game ban because maybe then he will learn if he has to miss uh, an important game uh, like the wild card playoff. So again, <laughs> going off on a bit of a tangent there, but you know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> <laughs> the game itself finished uh, thirty twenty to green. Bay so they came away with the NFC North division title Um, and by doing so um, it also then knocked out any chance Dallas had of becoming the number one seed because it meant that instead of it just being a straight up race between 
Dallas and Seattle, which if Seattle won as well, that was, which Dallas would win because of their win over uh, Seattle, uh, it meant it would have to be based on conference record, which kind of put Dallas further down the ranking, as you'll find out shortly. So we finish off the NFC roundup with uh, Seattle versus your team, Marcus, St. Louis. Great start for the Rams being 6-0 up at halftime. So I'd imagine you were quite proud of that. Oh, yes. But what happened in the second half and in particularly the fourth quarter, bud? I think the pressure and the adjustments that they made, sometimes you just, you just, they go in. We created the right game plan to stop them and sort of, like say, because at, at half we had them by the scruff of the neck. And then they just came in, they sort of like, they just created the game and readjusted it to their, to suit them. Yeah, um, of course. They just shut down the running game. You have to, you have to admit to them is that the way they, they, they suddenly worked, slowly worked Lynch because they knew that what with, with Lynch, they couldn't just dominate him as they were. So there was a lot more Lynch and Turbin. They, they sort of uh, one-two punched a lot better in this game. Yeah, definitely. And that defense again really steps up in the the fourth quarter with the uh, the pick six as well from from Bruce Irvin. Yeah, that was, that was um, unfortunately that was kind of it. I mean, at, at thirteen-six, you know, there's life, and then it's only to give away seven points in the end. The seven points just on the or any any quick turnover play like that just takes all the wind wind out of your sails and it's uh it's a shame to finish it like that but Seattle perfect way to finish their season against a hard division game where you're sitting there going we are down we're scoreless they haven't been held scoreless but at the half this season so how do you prove to any of your doubters that you you're coming in strong you do that yeah, and actually something I've just reminded myself of, and I'm going to have to find the name of the, the lineman so I can put it in the, the show notes for you, but um, there was an absolutely amazing interception by one of the Seattle defensive linemen. Um, now, I'm, I'm assuming you probably would have seen this. Now, it looks like um, Hill is throwing the ball away because he kind of throws it towards the ground uh, at the line of scrimmage. Uh, but out of nowhere, <laughs> uh, one of the Seattle linemen picks the ball off. Yeah, Jordan Hill. Hill to Hill. Oh, was it Hill? Jordan Hill, was it? Yeah. Oh, thanks, buddy, because uh, I shall find that then to put that in the show notes. See, this is why you're my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Picking me up on these little bits. Nice one, helping me out. So, as we say, Seattle then came back and won that game 20-6 to, to six in the end. Um, and with that, because of their conference record, they actually got the number one seed in the NFC, which, same as New England, means they get the first round by and home field advantage throughout the entire playoffs, uh, which means good luck to anyone going into Seattle uh, in the playoffs in front of that hostile crowd and the 12th man, or the 12s, uh, as they're known by the Seattle coaches and players. Green Bay's win put them as number two seed, uh, meaning they also get a first round bye. Dallas finished the number three seed, uh, and with their win over Atlanta, Carolina get the fourth seed, meaning the wild card teams are Detroit and Arizona. Um, now, before I come on to the games that that will have happening in the wild card this weekend, just want to say um, something else I, I realized today, just when I was watching one of the Seattle interviews, at one point in the season, Seattle were three and three. They finished the season 12 and four. That's just a phenomenal run to go on, isn't it? So, to lose one game in, uh, help me out here, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, to lose one game off. in 10. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> one game in 10. It's a six, six game winning streak to finish off your season. Effectively, at one point, they found themselves at a six and four. And then managed to just smash out the last six games, finished twelve and four, 
and go on and just decide, you know what, we're, we're rather comfy here at the top of the tree. Thank you very much, guys. That's it. So uh, they may be seeing the end of the, the Madden cover curse with obviously Richard Sherman being on the front of Madden, but watch this space. So the wildcard games, just to finish off and wrap up with the NFC, we have Detroit versus Dallas, um, and that is the late game on Sunday. Uh, so 4.40 Eastern time or 9.40 uh, UK time. And Arizona versus Carolina uh, at Carolina, which will be on Saturday at 4.20 Eastern time or again 9.20 UK time. So with that, we move on. I'm eating burritos bigger than you. It's time to go eat, baby. Let's eat. You got some hungry dogs over here. Apple, orange, orange. Hot potato. I don't want no crackers. Hungry, man. I got to eat it. Feed him. He hungry. Man, you guys didn't eat your Wheaties this morning, did you? We eating all day, bro. We'll brown these guys up and turn them into little bitty eagle meatballs. Now we come to my favorite part of the show, and that is our weekly awards. That is our offensive impact. Player. Otherwise known as the award and our defensive impact Player. otherwise known as our mr award so marcus looking at the time i think we should probably only do our winners this week so would you uh oh look at that there's a the standard coin so uh, as as is becoming the norm now i ask you to call heads or tails and then you can pick whether you go first or second or which award we do so heads okay. or tails buddy call it in the air ha, lol. <laughs> This is all for you guys listening at home. And if you're wondering what that thud was a second ago in the show, that was the coin hitting the microphone. Great flip, Adri. (laughs) (laughs) Heads. Uh, Is it indeed heads? Um, Would you like to pick the award? I'm going first. You're going to go first. I'm going first. Okay, well then we're going to start with the... Award winner. Oh, goody, goody, goody. Because I'm going to win myself some brownie points this week um, with our producer because my winner this week mm, is... Tannehill. No. <laughs> wrong. It's Geno Smith, actually. <gasps> quarterback for New York Jets. So how is picking a Jets player going to win the favour of our Dolphin fan producer? I want to point out to all our listeners out there that, bless him, actually did not get the sarcasm in my voice no it's very difficult to uh yeah anyway moving swiftly on (laughs) (laughs) oh come on you've got to give it to the fact that where has this been all season 358 yards three touchdowns i mean his his completion percentage was 20 out of 25 i mean this was phenomenal i mean really it's been wondering what's this sort of why they went out and drafted Gino and it was really so he could do stuff like this keeping the fact that the trend has been to have these sort of quarterbacks Sanchez is even though he didn't act it was actually a bit of a mobile quarterback and then going out and getting Michael Vick the idea is that they could have a guy who finally puts up this sort of numbers and at the same time keep plays light with his feet and I really think if this had actually been on the sort of schedule for the entire year it could have been a very different uh, AFC East. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and to be honest, yeah, he I <laughs> damn that coin flip because he was actually my winner as well this week, as well as the stats you've mentioned. But because of the fact that he had a perfect quarterback rating this week as well, which is just unthinkable. And I mean, we all knew um, from last week that that looked like Rex Ryan was going to go, and we'll come on to that again um, shortly. 
But this, to me, was the ultimate FU from Geno Smith to everyone in that front office uh, at the New York Jets, really. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was just sitting there going, you know, what you call it? You ain't getting rid of me, sunshine. I've got ta- uh, I've got a pool of talent here that needs to be exploited, and you just got to find me that head coach who can who can get it out of me. But to which I would say to Gino, if I was in that front office, well, Gino, even the sun shines on a dog's some days. So, you know, um, basically, I think I think Gino's day should be, be numbered there. But congrats, fair play to him because he did have a, a great week uh, this week. So we move on then to the Mr. Award winner, and who have you gone for this week, sir? I think I might have scuppered you twice this week because I'm going for Justin Houston, linebacker, Kansas City. Son of a goat herder. <laughs> <laughs> just leave the awards to you then, Marcus. Paper down, just do it. You go, go right ahead. Fair enough. Five tackles, of which four of them were sacks. To give him that, like you said, that tied 22 sack season. I mean, it was just phenomenal. I mean, seven sacks. And by the entire defense was just amazing, but um, it was just crazy what you see. And honestly, the cutest thing I ever saw was I don't know if you've seen the video of um, Justin Houston's son in the uh, in the stadium watching as his dad got the twenty second sack. Um, that one on the day, it was just like oh, it just lit my heart up. But you know what? People like him make a football team what it is because they go out there and they give their heart and their soul to their teams to try and win. And uh, you know it shows with those sort of on-the-field performances. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, just to add in as well, one of those sacks was also a forced fumble. Kansas City, we know they've got a strong defence. You only have to look at the fact that it took teams, I think, nearly, what was it, something silly, like 10 or 12 weeks um, before someone actually had a rushing touchdown on them. But you know what? It's individuals like that that make those defences that formidable. Yeah, it was the game against Oakland where they, the Thursday night game against Oakland, wasn't it, where they conceded their first rushing touchdown. I think you're right, I think it was about week 12. But yeah, so congratulations to Geno Smith and Justin Houston for winning the last regular season awards. Oh, y'all want the play? Okay, here we go. We've got gun, Hulk left slot. Dixie left, key left. Mercedes, wide chip, Ricky. Zebra left, 75, Katie. Omaha, quick go. I want to finish up the show this week by going around the league and talking about some of the coaching changes or, or firings. There's, there's no way to try and beat around the bush on this one. So otherwise known as as Black Monday, the day after the regular season finishes in the NFL and a few that have happened since then. So as we know, on uh, Monday, uh, Rex Ryan uh, was fired from the Jets as well as uh, their general manager, uh, John Idzik. He was also fired from the Jets on Monday. I think we were all pretty much expecting that, weren't we? Yes, the general manager going as well um well yeah i guess you can see that because rex and 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 john sort of built that together the idea is that the team they wanted i guess you know if you you know remove one you're going to remove both i mean completely reshuffle and i think from from some of the things i'd i'd heard as well or i've heard this week is that they were saying that john edzik was more of a uh, financial gm rather than a scout orientated gm if that makes sense so he didn't yeah. necessarily have the eye for the player talent, but was there for uh, from purely the business side of things. Um, so it kind of makes sense to 
go with a new head coach and get someone that will support the head coach and, and knows how, um, how to spot the talent themselves as well. Also, we uh, mentioned, I think we mentioned this earlier anyway, that uh, Jim Harbour uh, left the 49ers this week to join um, Michigan. So, uh, yeah, that happened on Monday. Uh, Mike Smith was also fired from the Atlanta Falcons. I can see why they've done it. It seems a little a little harsh, but at the same time, in a franchise like Atlanta, where they're used to such success, back-to-back losing seasons, um, I guess that's why they've they've gone for change there. And and Mike Smith will be a great pickup for for any of the other struggling franchises. His job's probably secure, even though it would have been a losing season into the playoffs. I think he would have been secure if he'd beaten Carolina. But you know that that is a tough franchise there. They demand success. And like you say, the NFC South is always changing hands. Um, so it won't be long until the Atlanta Falcons find some kind of success. Um, before I come on to the one that really surprised me this week, the last thing I'm aware of is that Tressman was fired from the Bears. Ah, Bears. And also the Bears general manager, Phil Emery, was fired as well. Along with their offensive coordinator. Oh, he was fired, was he, their, their OC? Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. It was complete, like, um, clear out there. So does that mean that we think Jay Cutler may now stay? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that is going to be. I think the idea is, um, like we were saying about RG3, they'll get someone to come in, sit there and go, this is what Cutler can do. This is the weapons we've got to use around Cutler, the likes of Forte, Jeffrey, uh, Brandon, Marshall. Brandon Marshall. That was the other one I was thinking of. You know, and um, Bennett as tight end. We have the weapons for him to throw to, find the system that makes it work, and that's what they'll do. And finally, the one uh, to finish off with is Doug Marone has actually left the Bills. Now, this was our the Bills' first winning season in 10 years. We finished 9-7. and seven. And and basically the result against Oakland, so we were two points away from getting to the playoffs this year, effectively. He exercised an option in his contract, which gave him three days from the end of the season, if the Bills got new owners, to opt out of his contract. Now, for whatever reason, he has decided to exercise that option on what was day three. On Wednesday, he decided to walk away from the Bills, getting some quite shocked and surprised reactions from some of the Bills players on Twitter. Now, I know Aaron Williams uh, had mentioned that he was shocked and that he's now lost all respect for the coaches. A few of the other players, like Carl Williams, um, just saying that they were shocked, really, by the revelation. They had the team meeting on Monday and no inclination was given. And now he has walked away from the team, bearing in mind what he's built there. There must be some serious friction going on with him and the new owners because no way would you sit there and go, right, um, I've I, I poured the year into this. We've, we've had a successful year. When you're looking at a sort of a coaching scheme like that, year one, you are laying the foundations. You're not expecting a winning season. You're not expecting to sit there and go, right, guys, we're going to make the changes for year two to see some success and then year three to be pushing for the playoffs. Considering you pretty much did all three, and fell one game short of possibly getting into the playoffs, I, I just couldn't understand it myself. But like I said, unless there is some real friction between him and the new owners, that he has to sit there and go, I can't work with you. It's got to be something like that, I think, hasn't it, really, more than anything else. I just find it very, very surprising. So, 
not only do we need to see if we're going to stick with EJ Manuel or going to get try and get another franchise QB or bring in a veteran QB, but we've now got some coaching positions to fill as well, which seems crazy. Now, I know there's a couple of names banding around this. Frank Reich has been thrown up in the mixer there, the offensive coordinator for the Chargers. Obviously, bringing him back to the Bills would be massive for the fans. And I know that uh, Mr. Pagula is, is all about making the, the fans happy up in Buffalo, and, and rightly so. Um, so that's a possibility. But for me, I'm wondering if you even look further than Jim Swartz and maybe just look to change the coordinators underneath him. But, but what you've got to do now is, I think, really try and see if you can promote from within. You know, you, there's a coaching team there that clearly knows how to win. You've got nine and seven records. You're going to be looking into year two to be improved in that. Maybe get yourself, you know, challenge the old, uh, the, the Patriots, you know, try and see if someone can actually finally pull that crown down from them. I think if you can recruit from within or promote from within, shall I say, you know, um, that'll be so much more, more worthwhile than like, having to bring someone else in who might want to say, I've come with my own system, guys. See if you can keep the old team there and and just give it another go just with someone else at the top of the pyramid. Yeah, I agree. And just finally, the last thing I want to say on that is the other reason why I'm surprised as well about Marone leaving is that, granted, for the second half, it was against the New England B team. But obviously, we got the win against the Patriots this week. And we've beaten everyone in our division at least once this year which is a massive improvement. Again, that's not something we always do. So showing that, that that group of players is coming on leaps and bounds, but I shall leave that there. Otherwise, I will uh, have a bad tendency, as you know, to talk about the Bills all night. Spanhead Productions are a small, independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. That wraps it up for this week from myself and Marcus. And potentially, it wraps us up for the season. Now, this does depend on yourselves. For anyone who may have read the blog, and, and this may be news to Marcus here, so uh, sorry, buddy, to spring this one on you. But on this week's blog, The Lowdown, which you can go to if you're on our webpage already, clicking on The Lowdown and looking at the Week 17 blog, in that you will find a vote section where you can vote for the postseason coverage you would like from us here at Bullhawk's Nest. You have a choice between having the blog only, having the podcast only, continuing to have both on a weekly basis till the season is over, or having no postseason coverage because you're sick of myself and Marcus. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> strongly recommend you go to the Lowdown blog and vote and let us know what you think and see what you would like us to do for, as I say, the, the postseason coverage. What, what do you make of that, Marcus? I don't think you were aware of that. I wasn't aware of that, but then how could anyone not want to listen to our lovely sultry voices <laughs> talk about football? Exactly, especially Mr. Smooth, who they will hear from very, very shortly. <laughs> 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 yeah, so 
with that said uh, please do go and vote and let us know what you think also if you have any comments about our show you want to be a guest on the show or anything in general you want to ask us about football remember hey guys if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com our shows are also downloadable on iTunes our more recent shows are also rebroadcast on the 1800 online network a link to which is at the side of the page once again uh, happy new year to everyone and thanks marcus for yet another sterling podcast sir awesome awesome as usual and until next time stay safe take care and thanks for stopping by <laughs>